Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. Shortly, Buck will join me and we're going to chat about this week's news, which, I mean, there's a lot of it, right? There's How Surfers Get Paid, new episode now live on Stab Premium. We also have the Vans Triple Crown is sort of nearing its end, so we're going to give you an update on who's doing well there. Backdoor shootout news, injuries. There was a crazy session at Cortez Bank, of all places. There was a World Junior Championship. So much has happened this week, and we've got the inside scoop on all of it. So let's jump in. Wow, Mikey Ciramella, you're back on the program. It's good to have you back. Yeah, I'm happy to be back. Um, I don't know if you heard, but I actually already did a podcast with Stacy talking about the 2023 rookie class, which you can go back and listen to. It just dropped a couple days ago. Ooh. But yes, back on the drop, back talking about surf news. Um, there's there's a lot going on, but first and foremost, Buck, can I tell you a little bit about Stab in the Dark? Well, I, I just want to let the viewers know. The viewers, and by that I mean listeners, but I want to paint them a visual quickly. The first time that we talked after you got back from this trip, you were wearing a jumpsuit. It was green and yellow, the colors of a certain nation. Do you want to Do you want to tell us some more? It's true. Let's talk about it's it. It's true. Um, we went to Yugoslavia for this year's Stab in the Dark. An obvious choice. Um, we, you know, it was weird. We didn't we didn't find that many waves, but <laughs> no, we went to Brazil. Of course, we went to Brazil. And to one of the most spectacular places I've ever been in my entire life, Fernando de Noronha. It's an island 350 miles off the coast of northeastern Brazil. You've seen it in Globe films. You've seen it in Mason Ho edits. Um, and, I, you know, it always looked fun. It's like you typically see this sort of wedgy beach break with, you know, winds that are semi-offshore, kind of like Hawaii winds. And, you know, it's kind of heavy, but it looks fun at the same time. It's beautiful blue water. And yeah, so I was I was expecting to have a lot of fun there, but I wasn't expecting it to be kind of the most magical place that I've ever been. Like, it's kind of hard to put into words how special it is, but it just it's so sort of like remote and out there and and insular and the waves are incredibly fun. It's the sort of place where you actually set up on the beach all day long and you just sort of look for these little windows of waves when it gets good because it'll just go through these you know up and down periods with the tide and and rips and whatnot and then these little magical hour-long windows and you just sort of have to be on it and the whole time people are just like down there like you know volleying a soccer ball around and eating acai and we were actually there for a really interesting week because it was this thing called Neronia week which is kind of when all of these like rich famous Brazilians go to the island so it was like influencer central <laughs> yeah I don't know it was just it was really really interesting and anyway you're probably wondering I've been talking this whole time about this place you're probably wondering who we brought there and can I can I get a drum roll buck Ooh, let's just recap real quick okay so I've told our listeners that they've won a world title and that they are strikingly different from every other stab in the dark surfer that we've had. That's true. So that's what we're working with. Are you, and now you're going to give us the big that, reveal. Well, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna add a little bit more suspense. So when you say that they're strikingly different, okay, than any other stab in the dark surfer we've ever had, I think there's two main points on that. One, is there a goofy foot? Ooh. Believe it or not, across either of our major uh, board testing platforms, stab in the dark or electric acid and joyride, actually, as I think of it. Wow, true. We've never had. A goofy foot. And yeah, it, I feel like it was time for us to, uh, you know, take a step forward with our right foot forward. And we decided to get a goofy foot on the program. Mm. Still don't know exactly how I feel about it. I'm sure you feel great about it. but Wonderful. Never felt better. The second thing is he was Brazilian. And we've never had a Brazilian on our board testing platforms either. So um, obviously it made things a little bit interesting because we wanted the person who's talking about boards to be able to, you know, use the full range of their vocabulary and thoughts. So we actually recorded the entire thing pretty much in Portuguese, which means we're going to have to translate it and, you know, go through that whole process, which is going to be an interesting one. But I think it'll be worth it in the long run because apparently what this person was saying, because I, I didn't quite understand all of it, but apparently what he was saying was incredible. And here we go. I'm going to say it. Drum roll, please. What was Ian Govea like in person? <laughs> Italo Ferreira, Buck. Italo Ferreira. There he the is. The 2019 world champion, the reigning Olympic gold medalist, and one of the most 
incredible operators that I've ever witnessed firsthand. Can I just give you a little rundown of what like one particularly impressive day in the life of Italo Ferreira looked like on Fernando de Noronha? Please, please. Okay, so 5 a.m. wakes up. 6 a.m. does a session with his physio guy, which he brought over there, by mm-hmm. the way, along with another team of like five people that, you know, are just in his camp. Uh, 7 a.m. breakfast. From 8 a.m. to 12 p.m., he tests three boards. 12 p.m., lunch on the beach. 1 to 3 p.m., test three more boards. Then he comes in, has a short little rest on the beach, goes back out on his own board because he hadn't surfed enough that day, apparently. Comes in, plays like, you know, an hour of football on the beach with his friends, just following the ball around. Goes home, eats dinner at 6 p.m. At 8 p.m., he attends a local sort of like party concert where his girlfriend was DJing. And at 10 p.m., he goes home and goes to the fucking gym. No way. Yeah, it's honestly crazy. And we had to try to, like, keep up with him for 10 days straight. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. Wow, that gym twist at the end really got me. I was following along, and I was, like, getting tired just even. I was I was getting fatigued listening. <laughs> and then the gym thing. Holy shit. I want to get on his crew, though. How sick would it be? To just like be somebody that you kind of have limited responsibilities, we kind of be like a hype man. I don't know. I want in on that. <laughs> yeah, he basically he does. He has a couple of hype men. You could say that you know they have other duties as well. Like one is basically his filmer, and another is I don't know exactly what I'd call him. It's basically like a like a pit crew, like you know, and you know racing and stuff when the car comes in and they change the tires real quick and send him back out, put the gas in and whatnot. He basically has a guy to do that, but like for his surfboards. So he like gets his boards all ready, like runs out and like gives him water. He like runs waist deep in the water after Italo catches a wave and like hands him a water bottle so he can drink it real fast. Everything Italo does is so fast. That was like my biggest takeaway. Like he, he's not a person at all to sit still or like sort of ease into something. He's like, fucking going 150 miles through every single thing he does wow i want in i want in i want that job and i also think people should have more of that like how sick would it be like if you just got some interesting characters around all the ct events where you just had people like that for every surfer at least the people that are making a lot of money and have it to spend on a crew like that like i think everybody should have like an eight person crew they just get around <laughs> with and like really get some characters in there i just see like a big fat guy with a mustache or somebody just like hanging out being a caddy that'd be sick <laughs> So episode one of Stab in the Dark 2023 with Itola Ferrer will air on April 27th. We obviously need some time to, you know, do all the post-production, put together four episodes of this thing. Um, And it's going to play exclusively on Stab Premium. So you can stay tuned for further updates like premiere dates, the 2023 Shaper list, and our board courier's hellish 72-hour travel tale, which will be coming from Holden Turnka, who you've heard on this podcast before. He he had a really (laughs) interesting um, trip trying to get the boards down to us. Oh, you will hear all about that. But for now, you're going to hear some surf news. Mikey, let's get into it. How Surfers Get Paid, Episode 5, is here. Oh, every one of these that comes out, I go, this was the best one yet. And this was the best one yet. It was, right? Like, it's, it's, there's no way to argue that. It's really, really, really good. And also, like, adding to that is, I don't know if you read Sam's email. I'm sure you did, but it, it went out to, I think, everyone. I think premium subscribers and just everyone in our free email database as well. And just him going through the sort of, like, mental turmoil, you know, of, like, putting out something like this when you're weighing these relationships that you have with people in the brands that you're talking about. And then, you know, on a on a bigger business scale, like the, the partnerships that you have with these brands and, you know, figuring out where that line is, how much you can talk about to, to feed the audience who obviously wants all these insider stories, but without burning all these bridges so badly that you, you can't go back over them after the fact. Um, so it's, you know, this episode mainly gets into the birth of these new surf brands that are popping up in the wake of the mega brands like Quicksilver and Rip Curl, you know, and, and they're the four main ones that we talk about are headed up by professional surfers. So you have Julian Wilson with Rivia, you have Dane Reynolds with Former, Kelly Slater with Outer Known, and John Florence with Florence Marine X, and it really just dives into what it looks like to be sort of a, a starting surf brand and how you win over the people. Yeah, we're calling this one the Renegades of Risk, and Mikey just told you why. These people all started their own brands, which is a risk, and in many cases they turned down some serious coin 
the most serious would have to be John John, I think. I mean, it, it tells you all the details of what these people, kind of the decisions that they had to make of, hey, do you want this kind of safe option of being a pro surfer as it worked for every other pro surfer for the past 30 years? Or do you want to just go try to see something that uh, you might just lose a bunch of money on and see if it works? And these people said, yeah, I'll do the latter. I loved Bruce Irons giving John John Florence career and financial advice. That was maybe my favorite part of the episode. Uh, <laughs> Well, doesn't he also say that Dane hasn't sent him a box yet? Was it former that he was mad at for, for the no box? <laughs> and then, oh my God. So the, the I think the biggest thing I learned from this, and this is to, I guess, be taken with a grain of salt. We haven't actually seen, you know, the, the contracts and stuff, but this came from somebody inside of the organization when it was all happening. But basically at Quicksilver at one point, what happened was these kind of non-endemic people came in to run the company. One of them was Andy Mooney. And he had a vision of Quicksilver that didn't really see Kelly Slater as the face of that brand anymore. Um, I don't remember exactly what year this was or, or how old Kelly would have been at this time, but it, it was during the rise of Dane and Craig. And he's like, this is what we need. This is what the youth wants to see. Younger people, you know, just drawing new lines and making surfing really interesting. Kelly's the old guard and we need to start pushing him out. And what that resulted in was not just, you know, Dane and Craig being sort of plastered across all these billboards around the world instead of that beautiful bald head, but the price Dane Reynolds was reportedly getting paid $3.5 million per year, which is a huge number in and of itself. But when you compare that to what Kelly Slater was getting paid, the I don't know if he was an 11-time world champ at this time. Maybe he was floating around that, um, depending on what year it was. But he was getting paid $600,000. So that's like a, like a sixth, I think, of what Dane was getting paid. That's fucking absurd. It is absurd. And you can't imagine they had, like, the foresight then. Like, you... I don't think anybody knew how good Kelly was going to be that long, right? I mean, I, is that – can we say that? And then again, he was already – I mean, this was 2014, I believe. That was the year where he showed up in WA without the, the red box, quick sticker on his nose. Everybody thought it was an April Fool's, an April Fool's joke because it was on April Fool's Day. And I don't know. Did, like, did people really know that he still had, like – a good 10 years left him and would be like just still this face of surfing that everybody in the world would recognize like could for some reason you think 10 years ago people thought that maybe kelly would just like phase out just be like not on the thing anymore i mean how long have we been like calling his retirement you know what i mean i i think to your point maybe andrew mooney couldn't have really known like that kelly slater was going to win a championship tour event at basically 50 years old um, but he has because he's Kelly Slater, of course. So in a way we should have seen it coming, but it just, it, until someone actually did it, it didn't seem possible. But of course he's just on a totally different level. He's Kelly fucking Slater. So he pulled it off. He's still here. And, um, did Quicksilver mess up? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it was for the better of everyone. It allowed Kelly to go out and do something that he was actually passionate and, you know, go a completely different direction. Like you hear Kelly talking about, you know, fast fashion, which has kind of fueled a lot of the surf industry for a long time. And now the new brands are mostly going a different direction. They're going sort of high end, high quality and trying to take over that sort of market. Yeah. And the most interesting thing that I trip on with the Kelly and Outer Known thing, especially with like you laid out his deal with Quicksilver and what was happening at that time, but he was the first to do it, right? And it, I don't think it's going to... I don't think it's a coincidence that Kelly launched Outer Known in 2015, Dane launched Former in 2017, 2020, John started Florence Marine X, and now earlier this year, well, last year, 2022, uh, Julian with Reviva. Wait, 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 say that again? Reviva. I put another V in there. <laughs> I want another V in there. I'm sorry. But that the, that's wild to me because it's like we we're sitting here talking about whether or not they made a mistake, but if they didn't make that potential mistake, would the rest of this have happened? Like Kelly kind of, yeah, he obviously went a different route. Like he wasn't going youth marketing like every other surf clothing brand essentially is. He was going more premium, more just nicer stuff. They're not going after kids. Um, and it was so different that it didn't almost, it felt like a surf brand, but not quite a surf brand. But now I don't think the rest of this would have happened without Kelly kind of leading the way. 
And it's incredible to learn the ins and outs of how that actually happened. It wasn't just like he woke up one morning and decided it. He was like, okay, fuck you guys. I'm going to do my own thing. It's pretty wild. Okay, so Andrew Mooney inadvertently saved the uh, saved the surf brand. Yeah, thanks, thanks Mooney, Disney boy. <laughs> I actually Bed Bath and Beyond. I used to use his name for anything when I was at Board Riders. Um, for anything that wasn't like you actually had to put your name, I'd always just write Andrew Mooney's name, um, <laughs> and it was very fun. There you go. Okay, so yeah, Renegades of Risk is now playing. I believe that's episode five of six in this uh, season. Is that right? That is true. And a few more things I want to call out here. With We talked a little bit about John John's deal, or we all knew when Hurley kind of got bought by Blue Star and there's all these deals being renegotiated, he decided to go his own way and start Florence rather than sign a five-year, five-mil deal with Rip Girl. But there's all this funny shit that gets revealed in this episode as well with, like, you'd heard kind of rumors about it, but Dane just running former out of his garage in the sense of that he was actually like, if you ordered a t-shirt, he was shipping it to you. We have footage of that now, which is still just striking. Like the, the talent <laughs> that that man has to ride a surfboard and now edit and pretty much do anything that there was a period of time where he'd wake up in the morning and spend hours just shipping people t-shirts. Like it's fucking, <laughs> that's wild to me as well. That is incredible. Just think about how much, th- how much he could do with his time. And that at that point was the best thing he could do and it worked like the brand survived and now they're in a much better spot. That's insane to think about. And then there's also a thing about, um, about Noah Dean. He talks about selling rage grips at a pub. He's in there too. He didn't start a clothing brand, but there's just something hilarious about that to me that I really wanted to call out. And, um, another thing just because imagine walking home from the pub with a fucking grip under your arm. Would you not buy a grip from Noah Dean? If you're having a great night at a pub, like a hundred percent, I would. I guess you would. Do you, do you ever pre-buy grips, though, like for boards that you don't have yet? No, but I feel like if I was at a pub having a good time and they're for sale, I'd, I'd just get it out of the way. <laughs> I've got I've got a board in the garage right now that I have to go Fair buy enough. a pad for. If I if Noah Dean threw a party here, that problem would be solved. <laughs> uh, one more thing I want to call out, too, is so in a lot of these things, you know, we talked about Kelly leaving Quicksilver money or, you know, just kind of walking away from that whole deal. We talked about John walking away. There is an element of it that I think does make the bigger brands, the legacy brands, look a little bit weird. And you talked about Sam's note before. He does talk about the value that they bring to the surf industry as a whole. Like, they they sponsor the best surfers. They sponsor the best events. They are so committed. And after having worked at one for, I think, five or six years, I can say that the people in there really are, like, you know, not everybody. There's some, like, accounting trolls. But, like, most of the people at those brands, whether they're in product, marketing, whatever they're doing, they are there because they really care about surfing. And so... I do think there. I hope there's still a world where big brands, legacy brands, get the respect and uh, the admiration they deserve. But it's also cool to see all these um, younger ones come up as well. And another note on that: there is nothing like. I mean, when I was at Quicksilver, they're owned by Oak Tree Financial, just some private equity thing. There's nothing like going out on a tab like that. There's just no guilt. You could have a million beers. There's just nothing like getting a free lunch on them. Like, we can't do that at Stab. We we meet with the owners every week. We're friends with them. Like, we know the ins and outs of the business. We know that, like, there's a reason why every single other surf media outlet has been sold or folded. Like, we can't go nuts. There, it was just such a delight to be able to just get out a card and order 13 bottles of wine at dinner on Oak Tree's Tab. That's all I want to say. <laughs> all right, so this episode ends with surfers and you know big people in the industry making predictions about which of these four brands has the highest chance of success so again that's rivia with julian wilson former with dane outer known with kelly and florence marine x um buck if you had to pick between these four which one you going with florence what about you me too because that's the one that I lean most toward, but I wonder if that's like a, you know, just like a personal bias. Because I think Kolohe actually made a really good point that former is kind of like the cool stuff that kids want to wear. Florence is like the stuff that rich dads wear, right? It's like really high end. It looks good. It feels good. It's, you know, it's it's built for the, um, basically tackling the elements and, and it's great gear. But I wonder if the one that's really going to take off is the one that the next generation is actually into. And to me, that that could be former before it's Florence Marine X. So I think both of those are really good options. Um, You probably won't catch me wearing former, 
But that being said, I think it could also go super well. But if I had to pick one, I think I'm also going to go Florence with you. And that's what uh, that's what most of our experts picked. And we also did an Instagram poll, and that's what most of the people in the public thought as well. So there's a lot of public support there. Yeah, and I would say former is a, a, a close second to me as well. It's um, I'd go Florence. I think I already see more of it in the wild. Either that or it's just easier to recognize. Uh, I probably do see former tees in the wild that I just they don't have a clear logo on them. Um, but I'd say it's between the two. The Pickup, presented by Vans, episode four, is also live. And Mikey, you are living in it right now. I sure am. I'm in the dungeon. You're picking up. Yes. What are we putting down? <laughs> We're putting a lot down. Um, we've got a lot of different things in this episode. I think Noah Dean's going to come back with his uh, with his dad's old single fin that you would have seen in a previous episode. We've got Nathan Florence in the newsroom with Corey and Dylan. He's going to talk about his recent trials and tribulations at Jaws, where he ended up actually breaking his back. Um, get better soon, Nate. And, of course, we're going to talk about everything going on in the Vans Triple Crown, and that's sort of where I come in in the bunker. Yeah, yeah. Another news thing they picked up, there's a hilarious thing about Kelly Slater, um, let's say just kind of brushing a certain a certain individual, which is hilarious. It's just, uh, I, I've seen the script for that. I haven't seen the segment yet, but I just love the idea of it. And then you guys also met up with Legend and Mona Chandler, did a segment on The Last People in the Water. And um, it's shaping up to be a quality app. It sure is. But there's been a lot happening over there. I heard that uh, a gentleman named Nanya is having a very good year. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this was um, probably one of the highlights of my stay thus far in Hawaii. So um, Danny Johnson of Danny Johnson fame has been over here. He, he got over here after the new year, and he's been helping direct this whole thing that's going on. And um, he's doing a great job, as he always does. But sometimes he gets a little bit frazzled. You know, he gets lost in, in the sort of the pickup world, and um, reality just doesn't seem to hit the same way. So recently we did a site on, or sorry, a post on the site about the Dahui backdoor shootout, which concluded a few days ago, but they actually didn't announce winners because of sort of the situation that was going on with Kala Grace. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But we posted a, a thing on the site, I think it was written by Ethan, and he titled it, Nunya Business Wins the Dahui Backdoor Shootout, because it hadn't been announced yet. <laughs> and it was spelled um, N-U-N-Y-A, so you know it wasn't like, yeah, it was not the appropriate spelling, but it looked more like maybe it could have been something else. So anyway... Danny had just come back from shooting the pickup newsroom, right? Which is where Danny, or sorry, where Corey and Dylan um, talk about this week's news and what's going on. And they just said basically like, yeah, they haven't picked a winner yet. So Danny comes back and he sees this article that Nunya Business wins the Dewey Backdoor Shootout. And he's like, shit, wait, they announced the winner? Like we just recorded this whole thing. <laughs> and we're like, Danny, what are you talking about? He's like, it says right here on the site, Nunya Business wins Dewey Backdoor Shootout. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole house just erupts in laughter. And he's like, what? And we're like, Danny, none your business? And he's like, oh, that's not a name, is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is incredible. And another thing, like, it's kind of rare for us to show up um, on Google News. Like, for some reason, just I don't think we're great with SEO, with search engine stuff. But that one did. And so... Wilkes. Yeah, blame uh, blame our tech guy. But Nanya Business showed up for us as well. That thing, the post did really well for us. I think a lot of people were entering through through search, and so they were probably horribly... There's probably a few people, too, that were like, I gotta look up this Nanya guy. <laughs> what a massive event. <laughs> anyway, that, that was a wild... That last day of the backdoor shootout looked insane. Were you there already? No, I landed that evening. So I landed to, like, a flurry of okay. messages of, you know what's going on with Kala, blah, blah, blah. And so I was trying to catch up, figure out what happened. Of course, um, Kala Grace, he he got the perfect 12 at the backdoor shootout last year and actually had a few really good waves this year. I think he was in contention to win. And he ended up going on a wave. I think he fell on his wave and it was like fine, but I think his helmet might have gotten blown off. And then he was trying to paddle back out or get back to the channel or whatever. And the next one caught him and it picked him up and it smashed his face into the reef. And he basically was drowning. Um, some of the lifeguards came. They jumped off the ski to rescue him. 
they brought him to the beach. Apparently, he was not looking very good. He was kind of like purple, and they did some work on him, and he eventually started coughing up water, which was great because you know it meant he was breathing and living. Uh, he got brought to the ICU where he spent a few days, and um, it turns out that he just got released from the ICU. He's you know he's conscious. Um, he wasn't able to talk for a while because he had a tube down his throat, but he was able to write messages and, and say that, you know, he's doing okay. So it seems as though he's going to make a full recovery, which is great. Um, and he's also not the only person that got hurt that day. I know Makua Rothman, I think he's tore his ACL and Billy Kemper got hurt also. It was really, really gnarly, dangerous pipeline. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that there are no, you know, really major 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 injuries that people are not going to be able to recover from yeah i mean that Kalaw one was really sketchy i it's a bad time zone for me so i wasn't watching it live but i watched the replay of it and what a scary scene i mean we call it out in the writing too but the vibe just changed entirely on the broadcast then like it was that was a, a really really hectic moment so it's great to see that he's making a recovery, but what a scary thing to happen. I mean, he's like, to me, he's like the epitome of somebody who's just great at pipeline and just looks so strong. And, you know, it's scary when you see people like that get hurt, especially in such a way. Yeah. Um, that so. wave does not fuck around at all. And and honestly, too, I don't know. Like, I did catch some of the highlights from that day. I'm not sure who who's going to win. I think they're going to announce it over the weekend. And Nate Florence actually talks a bit about it on this pickup episode about who he thinks might win. Um, I saw Kelly had probably one of the craziest waves that I saw the whole event. It was this just big pipe wave that it, it looked really hard to get into and it was like kind of windy up the face and he just did his Kelly thing where he somehow goes like no hands and he went over this foam ball and like comes flying out like super off balance but just like the most incredible act of just ability I guess and to, again to do that at 50 is unheard of so I think Kelly could actually be in potential potential to to win the thing so we'll keep our eye on that suck and it Mooney <laughs> and then the other the other big notable wave from that event was actually just after the event or after one of the you know the final buzzer of their heat and that was Moana Jones Wong who got I mean that was the best wave ever by a woman at pipe right like that crazy sucky double up thing oh my god yeah that thing was it had to be that that was a psycho wave I love how she talks about it too just talking about how Derek Ho told her that she'd get a wave like that one day and how there was a time when she hardly even believed that and then to stand in the belly of that thing. It looked like a mean one. That wave looked not friendly. Terrifying. And normally a surfer would be absolutely gutted to get a wave like that after the buzzer. But in Moana's case, it actually could be to her benefit because, you know, say she gets that wave in the shootout, even if she gets a 10 or a 12 or whatever they want to give it, you know, like it may or may not lead to her winning that event. But we know for sure now that because it was outside of the backdoor shootout window, it can apply to her Vans Triple Crown campaign. So already she's won $500 for this wave for winning the the week's crown clip. Um, She got a perfect 30 out of 30. Uh, from the Vans judges, and now it's put her in a position where she's in a way better, you know, she's got a, a way better chance of winning the Triple Crown. She just needs, you know, a few more waves at Sunset, Haleiwa, etc. Um, so she's got a week to to fill out her roster, but she's got basically a golden goose egg in her scoreline right now. Damn, I didn't even think about that. I mean, I'm sure when you get a wave like that, it's just like event, jersey, anytime, it's just you're happy to be in it, but that's awesome that it counts to the Triple Crown. I mean, she's... Uh... I guess she's got to get her ass to sunset. Haleiwa. There's a lot of swell in the way, isn't there? There's a ton of swell in the way. There's actually a huge swell in the way. Like, I'm not a forecaster, but I'm saying potential eddy energy going on over here. So, um, yeah, there's going to be plenty of opportunity, especially, like, on a day like that, you're probably not surfing Piper Sunset. Um, If you're really brave, you might paddle out at Haleiwa, but we'll see. Um, But there are a few smaller days on either side of that that anybody could go out and get some really good scores. And as of now, a little update on the Vance Triple Crown leaderboard. Zoe McDougal is holding it down on the women's side. She's just had the most, like, slow, steady, methodical approach. Like, she's going out every single day, sunset, Haleiva, pipe, wherever it looks best, sometimes surfing multiple waves in a day, and locking in really solid scores. She's basically averaging 20 points per wave that she uploads, which is the equivalent of a 7, you could say. Um, so she's looking really solid. And then she's got three C tiers nipping at her heels. Uh, Brisa Hennessy, Gabrielle O'Brien, and of course the two-time defending champ Carissa Moore, who I have a feeling 
is holding her cards close to her chest. She's got a few waves uploaded, but I have a sneaking suspicion that she's holding a few for the end, sort of a la John John Florence's uh, tactic from last year. So I think a few surfers are doing that as well. I was surfing Sunset with Finn McGill the other day. He looked unbelievable. I know he got a couple really good waves that he hasn't uploaded yet. Um, maybe like a Seth Moniz as well is, is holding some of those waves. Um, and on that point, on the men's side, we have Mikey February leading. He had a crazy wave at sunset this week. He also won $500 for that. Um, Tomas Hermes is in second. He's been sort of taking the Zoe approach of just being out everywhere all the time. And third, probably the, the surfer who's done the best surfing thus far is Ethan Ewing. reason he's in third is he's only got three of six waves uploaded, but those three waves are unbelievable. He's got the highest average score of any surfer in the event barring Moana, who only has one score, and it's a 30. But anyway, that's a little Vance Triple Crown update. Wow, thank you. I want Seb Smart to win. He just keeps back <laughs> closeouts from what I can see. And that, that it's, I don't know how that scores, but I think he should get an award for it. Yeah, and there's also, um, uh, I thought it was funny, Justin Quintal got this incredible pipe wave this past week. Like, kind of one of those ones that you you get and you feel like, yeah, that's that's probably good for me. Like, I don't really need to to get another one after that for the rest of your life like that's the one that you dream about as a kid it was this crazy second reef roll in pulls into the first section goes straight through it and then gets this long dreamy end section that just spits him out ever so gently into the channel he's riding like a eight five or something from josh keogh and um he unfortunately missed out on five hundred dollars because he submitted his clip just after this week's entry window which Ooh, i just think is the most that. like florida man thing to do <laughs> Uh, Florida Man Award, congratulations. <laughs> but anyway, um, as I said, there's there's tons of waves coming for the last week. So the window closes on January 23rd, and all submissions need to be in by then. After that, Vans will pick a winner, and of course we'll be announcing that winner on the pickup as well. White Sharks and 60-foot perfection at the Cortez Bank session of the decade. Now, Mikey, it's Friday the 13th. The buoys are donging 17 feet at 19 seconds. Are you going to go 100 miles out into the ocean to go surf some waves? Is that a decision you're going to make? Uh, certainly not. Well, some people did, and they are part of a little production known as the 100-foot wave. So we've talked about it on the program before, but the 100-foot wave, their first season was all based in Nazare, to me, it was just a, a love letter to GMAC, and I kind of got sick of it. But many people love the show. You are among them, I believe, right? I watched three episodes on an airplane, and I really liked them. But, um, yeah, maybe I, I didn't get far enough into it. Well, I mean, it's HBO. Anything they do is going to be pretty damn good. So a lot of people love it. It's probably been the most – it won an Emmy. I think it's been the most just successful surf program. And it is, like I said, the first few episodes were just a little bit – a little bit too GMAC for me, but it is a good show. And they are not just at Nazare. They also went on pretty much the other side of the planet and went and sent a crew out to Cortez Bank for this mega swell that hit California that um, if you've been living there, you've probably heard nobody stop talking about. It looked crazy. Anytime you see Cortez Bank, I'm interested. It's just, it's still bizarre to me that that wave gets surfed. I mean, I get it. I feel like there's like, I feel like we almost know too much now. Like there was a time, I mean, Bill Sharp, he's instrumental in, in the 100 foot wave production. He's been instrumental in the, the big wave awards from the start. He's just, I think he invented them. So he, he, I don't think he owns the, the legal rights XXL, which is kind of funny though. I'm going to grab that. But anyway, Bill Sharp organized this, and I feel like when this first started to happen, it was like still this kind of like, you know, there's this expedition feel to it. It's about like more adventure. Whereas now I feel like we just know everything. We know that the biggest waves in the world are going to be at Nazare because of that canyon refraction. No, nothing does that because it has that thing that just kind of doubles the size. And so, I don't know, Cortez, I almost felt like it lost its relevance because everybody just knew that you don't have to go there essentially. And then. These guys went out there, and the imagery is just insane. As the title suggests, they were getting bumped by white sharks out there just 100 miles into the ocean, and it's just, it's still just baffling to me that that's a thing that people do. Like, I get big wave surfing. I understand it. Yep, you know, sometimes you paddle in, sometimes you whip in. It's crazy. It's, it's compelling, especially people that don't know much about surfing. But going out 100 miles into the ocean to do it, it's just 
fucking wild. Yeah, I think it's probably for big wave surfers, it's one of those bucket list things that it's just this mythical wave that people have always talked about, and you probably just want to do it to, to check it off. But at the same time, it is so crazy to me that you can have a swell that big and then ocean conditions around it that are so clean. Like, they, they talk about that in the piece where it's, like, basically, if there's any, like, breath of wind, it's not even worth going out there because it's so far out in the middle of the ocean that if there's any sort of, like, lump or anything, it's just magnified out there. And, one, it's unsafe, and, two, it's, like, unrideable. So to get waves that are, you know, 60 foot or whatever and it's it looks like an oil painting is pretty amazing. Like, I don't know, the ocean just sort of never ceases to amaze me. Yeah, the imagery from it is incredible. This is a free piece on our site, so you can go check it out, whether or not you're premium although you should be premium don't be a slob they had a 41 person crew out there um and apparently it cost 150k to pull off that's what it was ballparked at or one eighth of the cost that uh they say it it takes to run a wsl big wave event and it's just wild i mean i guess this will appear in an upcoming episode of the 100 foot wave but like you said just a massive swell middle of the ocean wave and it's just oil glass um good stuff yeah, I back it. And uh, Holden, who wrote this story, we talked about him before. When he was talking, he talked to Bill for this. He talked to Nick Von Rupp, and he talked to Garrett McNamara himself. Um, G Mac actually had a little fender bender while they were talking, which uh, just a bonus little detail you should know about this. So we're sorry, G Mac, for uh, the the car accident, the mild car accident that you sustained while talking to our writer, but. Thank you for speaking with us. Uh, thank you for uh, being Nazare's godfather. And yeah, go keep go 200 feet out in the ocean or miles out in the ocean next time. See what's out there. Let's see. Yeah, sorry. To that point, Buck, you, you were saying that we know everything now. We know Nazare is the biggest wave and blah, blah, blah. You, don't, you really don't think that there's another like wave somewhere out there in the middle of the ocean that's just bigger and better than anything we've ever seen? I just don't know how you can compete with that canyon refraction. I don't know. Like That thing just effectively takes swell and makes it way bigger than it really should be like i don't know how you compete with that maybe you could find another thing like well, that could somewhere, be another but one, like though. you could but you could so yeah. clearly see that on google maps like you could it that thing is easy 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 to find like you could see the canyon so for something to have like i think even that stuff's kind of known about but that's that's because it's by the coast though the, the ocean floor isn't mapped that in depth like way out to sea is it well i think that's why they go to cortez because they know that it gets shallow out there I don't know if, I mean, I think if there's a canyon into a shallow, a place shallow enough in the ocean for the waves to break, I would imagine it already be known about. Or it'd have to be a pretty crazy canyon to have, like, the wave to grip and feel the canyon into this bank. Like, I, I yeah, I don't know. I Maybe you think there's a Bigfoot out there? You want to go looking for uh, the abominable snowman or what? Well, you know what, Buck? Um, in our next little segment, we're going to talk about a bet that we made a little while back. Maybe we make a bet here. Maybe we come back in like 20 years and, and see how we're still talking about this. All right. All right. If uh, if that wave exists, then um, you and I have to paddle it on carbon boards. <laughs> how does a carbon-wrapped EPS board feel different from a PU plus epoxy board? Mikey, complex question. You tried to answer it. It is. Yeah, I wish it was as simple as like PU versus carbon, but as a lot of people called us out in the Instagram post that we originally made, it's not that simple because of course PU is a core, is it's the foam. Carbon is just like in, you know, an overlay of that foam, and theoretically you could take a PU board or a PU core and wrap carbon around it. So, it's a little bit complex, but yes, in this joyride, I took a board from KT. KT is the shaper of Kyleni. And um, he made me two exact replicas in terms of how the board is shaped. So same length, same width, thickness, liters, etc. Same exact everything. Uh, however, one of these boards was shaped with a PU blank and then get glassed with um, epoxy resin. And the other board was an EPS stringerless blank that he then took and carbon wrapped and vacuum sealed. So two very, very, very different constructions. But when you put them in the same board, you kind of wonder how different they can really be. And I can say from firsthand experience that it was unbelievable how different these two boards were. Like, it was night and day. And, um, well, yeah, they're black and white, so I guess that makes sense. Um, But anyway, that is a joyride that we sort of break down on the site. Everything that you need to know about these different constructions and when you would ride one, when you would ride another, and what sort of, you know, surfing they both allow for. You, I thought you did such a great job. I mean, the video is great. And then in the writing, you also 
provided us with a great analogy. You kind of framed it in a way that like one of these is the board that you marry and one's you kind of, you know, you fuck it. <laughs> what board do you kill? Like, yeah, I mean, this is a, you have to do all three. You, what do you kill then? What technology, what surfboard technology do you kill? Because that's how the game works. Um, I'm going to go surf tech on the kill. Um, I think that that needs to die, despite Kelly Slater putting on a great performance in campaign two. I think, I think it died then. Um, so that, that was sort of its last hurrah. But it, it is interesting too, because when I, when I made that analogy, I basically said that, you know, PU is the one that you marry because it's reliable. It's, the, you know, the one that you sort of, you know, that is the best for you in the long run. But also the carbon, that little carbon fling, man, I'll tell you, it really gets your heart going. It, it's so exciting. And at the end of the day, I actually made the um, maybe the unwise choice, but I actually had to leave a board in Indo because they didn't all fit in my bag. I ended up leaving the PU board there. I left with my fling. And, Ooh, and I, so you, wow. Yeah. Okay, midlife crisis boy. Yeah, exactly. So I've actually been riding the carbon board still a ton. I brought it to Brazil um, when we were filming Stab in the Dark. And I just kind of can't get off the thing. So I don't know if, you know, I'm sure there's going to be uh, a period where I, I get burnt out on it or it leaves me for someone richer and more famous. But um, yeah. That's that's where we're at. Wow, interesting. Wild move, Mikey. Wild move. Well, all right. That's uh, go check it out. Go watch it. Learn more, and maybe go to Indo and track down his board if if you ride. What what are your dooms? <laughs> uh, twenty two liters. So good luck with that. And also, um, as we always say in these joy rides, we always give away a board to our Stab Premium members. So this time you have to go in and and you know answer the prompt on there, which is one of my favorite prompts to date. I'm really excited to read these responses. So the prompt on this one is, "What is the most Kai Lenny thing you've ever done?" Oh God, it's gonna be so good. I would have to take some serious time to answer that, um, but maybe we'll have answers. We'll, we'll seek the answer. One thing we do have to count for, though, is or bring back up at least, is with the carbon stuff, because you know, Surf Ranch back on tour. We made a bet. Fifty percent of the surfers are there. You can't even. You went chose it over your PU board that you're apparently married to, and are you still confident in this bet that that? More than 50% of the surfers will be on, um, I guess, let's just frame it around carbon, that less than 50% of the surfers will be on carbon fiber boards at the 2023 Surf Ranch Pro. I'm still confident. And also, we, we talked last time we, we chatted about that, about the wax thing, right? And that is such a thing. Like, when I was in um, Indo and when I brought it to Costa Rica and when I brought it to Brazil, like seriously, the wax is impossible to keep on those things if you're surfing for a while in the sun. Granted, in the surf ranch, you're not surfing for a while. You catch like two waves every week. But yeah, it's something to consider. CT, I'm just going to keep feeding little, uh, so, just sowing doubt in their minds <laughs> over the next few months. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Take your thing right from the AC at the Tachi to your little Uber XL. Hop right in, you're actually fine. Stab Surfer of the Year. We are nearing the end. Um, and there are some favorites. Favorites are leaders, let's say. Um, but it is interesting. It's always interesting to hear how the best surfers in the world view the best surfing in the world. So before we really get into it, let's hear from some of the best surfers in the world about how they view their world. Let's hear from Creed McTaggart and Noah Dean. Hey Creed, how are ya? Good man, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Did you did you have a look through that thing we sent over or Surfer of the Year thing, is that it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Callan for the boys is number one. Um just got such a solid style and yeah, powerful and innovative and any charges, so yeah, it's always good to watch. Sean Manners would probably be my number two. Yep. Um, I surfed him a lot over the last year. He's been filming for a part, um, his club part, which has come together, and I've seen some clips and witnessed a couple of things firsthand. That was pretty mind-blowing, and um, I thought it was really cool um, that he did well in the stab high and at Lakey's. And then I got 
Justin Adams for number three. I just I think he just rides away really unique, um, uniquely compared to other people, and he always rides some sort of really scorched looking <laughs> board that looks like he's like picked up from the tear ports, like just like barely sort of pieced together with fiberglass. I haven't even really thought about who I was going to pick. <laughs> but I wouldn't choose anyone like that I didn't see surfing in real life that year. You know what I mean? That's how I feel anyway. Like, how are you going to say the best surfer is just someone that you've seen like videos of like if you haven't seen him in real life? So, fuck, first time I seen Reynolds surf in real life was pretty basic. He like snapped a board in half doing a carve and it was <laughs> like, whoa. I was like, holy shit. I was like, this is the real deal. Like, you watch people surfing and you're like, fuck, this is so gnarly. That's, like, that's my first pick. It's Balaram for number one. Like, he's fucking the gnarliest surfer ever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and watching him over here, he just, like, is that gnarly. And then the, I seen his chokes clips too, and I was just like, fuck, this is fucking crazy. Just how, like, calculated and, like, calm he is when it's, like, big and gnarly and he feels like, Looks like he feels more comfortable when it's like as gnarly as it gets, which is like, there's, I don't know, there's not been many people like that in the world ever. Chicks, fuck. <laughs> Such a close, close one between Katie and Sierra. Just from what I've seen in real life, like, gotta give it to Sierra, like, fuck. Katie's kind of my favorite ever, but Sierra just went fucking nuts. Like, crazy that air she did and when we we're over in um like he's just rattling it's just like wow like ridiculous just pushing it to a new level the best races right now are in the juniors the junior men and the junior women are like neck and neck so the junior men we've got huey vaughn who obviously had a huge come up at stab high really made a name for himself there and he's you know been posting great stuff on instagram outside of that as well and then jackson dorian who he obviously had that soup bowl trip with kelly slater this year he went to indo also and um, he's been having a good hawaii season you probably saw a backdoor wave they got recently that was pretty special i think that was in 2023 though so hopefully people aren't counting that in their in their little scoreline um and then on the women's side the real the real head-to-head matchup is katie and sierra katie obviously re-qualified for the ct this year she put out a travel series with stab she's been working on her film which will you know be dropping in 2023 and then sierra did the best air ever landed by a female and she had that wave in the vance pipe master so i think those are sort of the two things that are really pushing her up so it's going to be a a tight tight battle to the very end and i'm excited to see who pulls it out it's really interesting to see how much impact stab high has had like i i think i get it more with sierra like everybody saw that air i think if you follow surfing at all you saw the air that she landed and obviously we all know that's not the only reason that she's there but pretty much everybody cites it everybody's also aware of the surfing that she did all year in barrels doing turns doing other airs but then with Huey, like, he's another one that I hope everybody else sees the rest of the surfing he's doing. Like, again, most people mention Stab High because it was just in your face. But if you look at that kid's Instagram, he's a fucking beast. Yeah, he's an animal. Like, I feel like half of his clips, is like, we would just post on Stab and just like, look how sick this is. Like, he is insanely good. But again, that was another one that, like, a lot of people were talking about Stab High. Um, in my picks, actually, I wrote about how I just kind of halfway rid him off wrote him off in my head being like this little child in tiny like i know he's a good surfer but like this is like six foot windy waves and then he just went out and stomped some of the best airs of the day he's crazy good and then the the katie sierra race is just i don't think that's the last we're going to see of it it's happening now but um something tells me that we're going to be seeing those two battle a bit more in the future um our juniors are under 18 but it was interesting. Stace and I talked about it last week to watch the World Junior Championships, WSL World Juniors, happen. I believe both the winners, uh, Jarvis Earl, your buddy, Smiley Fella, and Francisco Veselko of Portugal, of Portugal, yes. Um, neither of them rated, but I think they're both above that age limit. Still, that was a sick event. Did you Were you able to catch any of that? 
Yeah, that was like the best Seaside has ever been. When I heard that event was going to Seaside, I like rolled my eyes because I lived in Encinitas, Cardiff for, for a number of years and I almost never surfed Seaside because it's like the most annoying wave. It like hits this reef out the back. And, Me like, too. And I, I like left. <laughs> and it like looks like it's going to be good and then it just like goes fat through the inside. I actually, the only time I really surfed it was in summer when it was just like on the shore break and you just go surf that little wedgie beach break. That's like the most fun part of the wave to me. But they somehow got it for like a week straight of just like pumping left it looks like i don't know it looked like somewhere in like portugal or something just like a a really fun wave you'd surf where you can actually do like proper turns out the back and then it's got this really heavy inside section better than fucking ribera de Ilias or whatever that joint is (laughs) you know that actually reminds me when we were talking about cortez bank i wanted i thought maybe it'd be fun and we always make fun of nazare so Originally, I was going to say, well, congratulations to the Nazare crew for surfing a wave that actually breaks. But then I thought I'd pivot and say, how bad is California that you have to go 100 miles in the ocean just to get an actual wave? <laughs> and so I want to go back to that. And yeah, they actually, <laughs> they, they pulled it off, though. They got, I mean, they got lucky with the swell, but it was so fun to watch. There's a heat, I think it was a semi with Levi Slauson and Eli Hanneman. That was just crazy. It was so back and forth. Eli almost pulled it off with like a crazy full rotation backside air at the end. Had it 90% of the way there and fell. It was just like you could tell he splashed in the water after. And um, sick event. And now Jarvis and Francisca both go straight to the Challenger Series at Snapper, which is cool. Huge. What do you think of Jarvis? You hung out with him, yeah? Yeah. Jarvis is like, I think to me, he's like the modern day Ace Bucken. Like he's just super, you know, kind and friendly and his surfing is like kind of picture perfect. Now he has airs, which kind of makes him, you know, the modern version of Ace. But I think he's going to be someone that like eventually gets on tour and is there for a really long time because he's just really solid in every aspect of surfing. Um, another surfer, though, who was in this event that probably impressed me the most was Al Cleland Jr. Oh, my God. And we've talked about him. Like, you know, he was in Saturn, obviously, and his surfing is just so incredibly mature. Like, he seriously looks like a young Wardo. Like, the way that he drives off the bottom, everything's just like, I don't know how to describe it. It's just like a feeling and a weight to his surfing. He was in the semis also. In fact, the semis included three out of four surfers that were in our Stab Innocence film from 2018, I think, with Craig Anderson, and that was Jarvis, Al Cleland, and Levi Slauson. The only one who wasn't was uh, Eli Henneman, who I think was even invited to Innocence, maybe, but didn't go for whatever reason. Um, so, yeah, it was really cool mm. to see. And, and to me, water instead. <laughs> Al Cleland, I'm really, really excited to see where his career leads because he is just such an unbelievable surfer. Yeah, he was incredible. I mean, the turns that he was doing were just... It's crazy to think he's that good at that, too. You know, you see him in tubes, and you're like, okay, I get it. This kid's freakishly comfortable in heavier waves. And then you see him doing backside turns at seaside and, like, getting eights for, like, one one of them. And you're like, oh, my God, this kid is next level. So he was incredible. Francisca really impressed me, too. She's a powerhouse. I could see her doing – I could see her qualifying the next year. Like, I didn't know much about her surfing. And watching her in that event, she's fucking powerful and – it was awesome to see that. So great event. And uh, Jarvis, let's hope he qualifies too, because I feel like when somebody like him, you compare him to Ace Bucken at least, goes to tour, it just kind of lifts the overall IQ. Like just his presence kind of makes everybody a little bit smarter. And I feel like Ace's absence, everybody's gone nuts, signing petitions. It's fucking banana land in there. So we got to get we gotta get some just stable, smiley, blonde guy back in there to calm everything down. And on top of the individual surfer winner picks, we also still have, you know, the film of the year and most importantly, the stab edit of the year categories. Um it's actually not even much of a race at this point. It looks pretty likely that Kale Walsh is going to take home that Bitcoin, which has been surging in price lately. It's gone up about 25%. Uh, when I, I got his stab surf of the year picks, and it was hilarious. I asked him what he was going to do with it. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll air it on here when he actually wins. But he's talking about how his buddy's dad was into it, and just he seemed very confused by the whole thing and how he has no idea what he's going to do if he gets this Bitcoin. But... Kale, you just made an extra few grand doing just nothing already. So congratulations. Well, almost congratulations. But yeah, surging. The Bitcoin's going up. Bed Bath & Beyond, Eric Logan going down. Interesting times in the marketplaces. (laughs) 
All right, it is almost time for Surf Sim, but first, let's talk about what's coming next. Next Monday, January 23rd, we have toasted the Katie Simmers film that we've been hyping, that she directed, edited, did the whole thing. It's insane. It's coming. Uh, we also have a bunch of CT previews coming up. I've mentioned it before, but we have a deep dive into the prize money, and then we also have some predictions coming for this new year. It's going to be a pretty, I mean, healthy John, healthy Medina, Katie Simmers arrival. It's going to be a very, very interesting year, so keep an eye out for that stuff. But now it's time for Sin. Mikey, let's hear it. Hi, guys. I've got a surf sin for you, I think. I'm here in Sweden. I live over here. That might be a sin in itself, but that's not the one I'm bringing to you. I started riding a softie a few years ago because I'm getting a little bit on in life. I ride it usually when it's only small, but uh, in the last year or so I've been taking it out even when there's better waves than what you can see behind you. So I guess that's what my sin is, getting stuck into a softie when I should actually be riding uh, a shorter board. Alright, hit me up with a penance. See ya. Alright, what do you got on this one? Oh man, okay, so first and foremost, I just want to say that this guy has such an incredibly soothing like voice and presence. Like even though he recorded this thing in a small tornado, mm, it was yeah. it was just really nice to listen to. He almost like Barton Lynch esque a little bit, um, just sort of this great old guy energy. However, riding a softboard in good waves is is a major major sin. It's basically mocking Mother Nature. You know, like whatever Job does it, but he's sort of a freak, and, and I still think it's kind of lame when he does it, to be honest. But it's basically like you're given this pristine Tuscan cliffside road to drive on, and you're out there in a fucking golf cart. It's like that—that's not what we're here for. That's not what surfing is. But have you seen Italian drivers? They're miserable. <laughs> you might think this Tuscan road's nice. It's—it's—they're hectic. That's the lineup. Yeah, but that's how—that's how it should Everybody's be. Everybody's just flipping you off, and yelling at you. <laughs> so I'm—I'm I'm personally offended by this. How do you feel about it? Well, first of all, conspiracy theory. Job has the most successful YouTube in surfing and it seems to be geared towards a younger audience. Uh, my conspiracy theory is that the, it's not, it's just middle-aged men like him and buying soft tops. Uh, so I'm going to submit that first and foremost, <laughs> and this is proof. We have proof here. Um, and this might be, this might seem a little bit out of character for me. It might even seem a little bit cliche, but I think a lot of times people get, disconnected from the reasons why we start to surf you know and i think that it, it's it can be easy to like with everything happening there's marketing all this noise and this guy seems like when i listen to him speak i think he lost it because we all know that we're here to cram as many changes of direction <laughs> as possible into a wave that really just doesn't want to allow it so my penance is for him to pick a qs event not a Challenger Series, a QS event. I'm talking about a QS 1000, maybe the Cal Open at Morro Bay, maybe the Surfer's Rescue 24-7 Port Stevens Pro, or the White Buffalo Hyoga Pro. This guy needs to pick a QS 1000, watch it from start to finish, and then he needs to talk to somebody that has no interest in surfing about it, whether it's a coworker in the morning or his spouse. He just needs to say, oh, yeah, sorry, I've been watching this thing, and just tell them about why it's important. <laughs> And that will um, reconnect him with the love of why we all surf. I love that, Buck. I think that's really important. Um, and I think it could really turn his life around. On my end, um, I think that what he's doing is ultimately shameful. And I think he's not even experiencing that shame anymore. He's sort of like transcended it. And I think that that is a problem. So we need to, to really bring him back down to reality. And in order to do that, you know, I made the golf cart reference before. And as someone who golfs, I can say that the most embarrassing part of golf is going anywhere other than a golf course in golf attire because it's just the dorkiest, lamest stuff you could ever wear. It's the collared shirt. It's tucked in. You know, you got your, your belt and maybe a hat and you got these stupid shoes with little spikes on them. And it's just the dumbest gear in the world. So for me, every time that this guy goes and surfs good waves on his surf top, 
he's got to do a full day living life in full golf attire. Oh. And I really do mean like the, the spiky shoes and everything. He's just got to go every single, whether it's work or out to dinner or, you know, to go grocery shopping. And he's in full golf gear every single time that he does this. And I think that that will make him realize that what he's doing is, is wrong. And I think it'll sort of change his path. Wow. They should do rinse kits for golfers. You should just show up the golf course and just disrobe so you don't have to do that. But I like the penance. I like the penance and just the uh, rinse kit shout out. Um, I don't use your product. I don't believe in it. I think uh, plastic water bottle does the same thing. But however, uh, go target golfers and uh, good penance, Mikey. Thank you. I guess he has his, his choices laid out for him for a healing journey. Yep. Choice is yours. You either it's either you know this sort of more internal thing where you you know you sit with yourself and you watch this event and you really just absorb it and then you share it with somebody close to you as well, or you just really out yourself to the world as the the menace that you are. Yeah, and shout out to last week's sinner Cole. He gave a Hall of Fame surf sin and he already completed his penance. Um, he sent us a video, a, a cam rewind of him just ruining some waves, trying to pump the whole way and try airs. So we like that. We like to see proof. We like that people are healing. And um, when I hit him back, he did confirm that he is still living in the Northeast. He's about to take a job in Boston, actually. I gave him a Dunkin' Donuts hack. And that is when you're in Dunkin' Donuts, and I'm sorry to everybody who doesn't have one near you, but what you do if you have one in front of you is you order a donut that comes in a sprinkled and non-sprinkled option. Whatever one they give you, you say you want the other. Because they're not going to put the other donut out of the bag. They're just going to put the other one on top of it. So you get two donuts for the price of one. Thank you. God bless. Have a good week. Thank you, as always, for submitting your surf sins. And just a reminder that we're currently looking for video submissions. They're going to get precedence over the audio versions. So if you have a good sin, set up your phone, press record, and just tell us the story. Tell us how naughty you've been, and we're going to deliver the penance that you need. And if we really like it, we might even run it on Stab's Instagram along with this podcast. So with that, another week has come to a close, and we're excited for the next week to come. We're going to have the winners of the Vans Triple Crown hopefully next week, and a whole lot more. So stay tuned, and until next week, over and out.